From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Nashville is well known as the home of country music, and this week it also serves as the epicenter of the football universe. The NFL Draft is in Music City for the first time ever this week, and a number of Gators are waiting on pins and needles to see if the commissioner calls their name. On today's show, FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry discuss expectations for the Gators in the draft, the latest transactional news for basketball, baseball's roller coaster weekend in Baton Rouge, Pete Alonzo's explosive debut for the Mets, and their most anticipated pop culture moments in the PAT. Then, hot off the heels of her individual NCAA championship on floor, gymnast Alicia Boren sits down with Gator Vision's Shelby Gnath to reflect on her incredible career and what she plans to do next. But first, a record number of Gators left school early for this year's draft, but will the league show them the love they're hoping for? We began our roundtable chat with Scott and Chris by asking about expectations for which Gators could be snapped up first. Well, there's always surprises in draft day, but there's always, uh, you know, millions of mock drafts to look at before the actual draft. And, you know, it looks like Jawan Taylor, the offensive lineman, has certainly worked his way up to a high first round pick. I mean, this guy... If you've read any of the uh, mock drafts or any of the scouting reports from the combine or individual workouts, uh, he's being viewed as the most physical offensive lineman available. And uh, he did a lot of work after the season, went to Pensacola and worked out on his own. And he showed up at the combine and Florida's pro day. And it was noticeably different for those who watched him as a Gator, how much better shape he was a couple months after the season, uh, you know, you're looking at a, a guy that's, you know, some projections have him going in the top 10. About all the projections I have him top 15 to 20 players selected. Uh, so Jawan Taylor has certainly helped himself. On the flip side of that, the guy that I think most people at the end of the season thought was a potential first round pick was uh, defensive lineman Ja'Kai Polite. And uh, the draft uh, workouts and combine were not nearly as kind to uh, Polite. Uh, showed up out of shape up in Indianapolis. Uh, his stock started to fall uh, with some of his, you know, interviews and not running the 40 as well as most expected. And you're looking at a guy now maybe going in the third round. And obviously, in retrospect, if that was the case back in December, you know, the advice to him would have been to stay in school. Uh, doesn't mean he won't be a good NFL player. Doesn't mean that. A team won't pick him higher than most people expect, but right now uh, it looks like Ja'Kai Polite's kind of third round on most people's boards, it seems like. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, uh, he's looking like he's done well in the postseason combine circuit. I think he's going to be a safe pick the first second round, second rounder at this point from everything I've read. And then after that, Adam, it's a, it's a lot of unknowns. I mean, you never know after the third round, is a guy going to go fourth round, is he going to go seventh? It's not going to make a lot of difference money-wise for those guys, I don't think, but certainly opportunity-wise, it could matter. And those players in that group are, you know, linebacker Sean Joseph, defensive lineman CC Jefferson, uh, running back Jordan Scarlett, uh, offensive lineman Martez Ivy, who to me he's an interesting one because he's so gifted physically in a lot of ways. 
I think uh, if there's any questions on him, it's just his motor, as they say. Does he have the kind of motor that's needed to be a standout offensive lineman in the NFL? I do fully expect him to get drafted somewhere. I just don't, you know, third round to seventh round. He, he's an interesting one to watch in the draft. And I think those guys uh, that I mentioned there are the, the ones most likely we're going to hear their name called over the, what, three days of the draft. With regard to Martez Ivy, I would, I would say probably uh, his uh, issue with his knee is as pronounced as uh, maybe his motor because he kept having that chronic knee. I mean, the guy, he would get it treated, but to his credit, he was always playing on it. And yeah. he did what it, he did what it took, whether it took getting it drained or what have you. And, uh, you know, the, uh, as someone who spent a lot of time at the combine during my time covering the NFL, I know how closely those medicals are scrutinized. And uh, it, all 32 teams know everything there is to know about Martez Ivy's knee. And uh, I remember when I wrote a story about the guy his freshman year. I mean, there were people back then when they were doing mock drafts. So he was going to be like a top three pick in the draft. So his health has been a concern for him um, most of his time at Florida. And again, to his credit, he played through that. Uh, sticking to something Scott mentioned with regard to Jawan Taylor. I mean, it's a year ago, we were talking about Dan Mullen being here first time and the concerns with the offensive line. And Jawan Taylor, he, he got better during, not just since the season ended, he got better during the season because if I'm not mistaken, I think he had three holding penalties in one game last year. It may have been the Kentucky game. Am I? Is, is that sound about right, Scott? Yeah, I think it was Kentucky. And the- yeah, and, and I mean, it, it, he was he was really really struggling to keep guys in front of him, and that's playing the right tackle spot. Now he projects as a guard in the next level, and I saw a mock draft where he's going seventh in Jacksonville as a guard. And when you're picking guards in the top ten, which is akin to a lottery pick in the NFL, they think a lot of you. Because guard is not a sexy position, but it's certainly a necessary one. But uh, not a lot of guards get picked in the top ten. So I, I can't say enough about what that guy, what that kid has done uh, to prepare himself and put himself in the position to make more money than I would imagine anybody would have thought fathomable for him in his circumstance this time a year ago. So uh, kudos to Jawan Taylor, and he'll be he'll be one happy man. Uh, Pretty early, uh, the flag drops at, what, 8 o'clock Thursday night? Mm-hmm. Um, he could be a pretty darn happy guy before the clock strikes 10, and that's a, that's really a credit to him. You know, Scott mentioned some of those below-the-line guys who aren't getting talked about as first, second-round picks. But as we know, is often the case, some of those players will turn out to be really, really good as pros. So which name that isn't getting talked about a lot by the quote-unquote draft guys do you think could pan out to being a really good NFL player? You know, I question whether or not he was ready to leave early, as a lot of people did. But I do think Boshan Joseph has some skills that could work in his favor in the NFL. He's a little bit undersized, but he, he could probably put on some weight and, uh, you know, focusing on just football part of it. Uh, he's certainly, you know, left a reputation at 40. You remember some of those hits he had, the one everybody still talks about, the one at LSU, made Sports Center, and uh, he's a physical player. Uh, led the Gators in tackles uh, the last year when David Reese was banged up. Boshan ended up leading the team in tackles. Again, I don't know. I think he's a development guy. I think whoever picks him or signs him, uh, he'll probably have to work his way up the depth chart in that organization. But I think, you know, if he gets in the right situation with the right team and really develops and has time to develop, uh, I think we could uh, we could hear about him down the road in the NFL. I'd be interested to know, I mean, last year, 
Florida had three five-star prospects that were the guys that were five-star recruits when they were signed. Mm-hmm. Martez Ivy, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott. Antonius Clayton, right? Yeah. And CC Jefferson. Yeah. CC Jefferson is a guy who people would say probably never reached his potential as a five-star player for whatever reason during his time at, at Florida. I wonder how he'll be in a no-pressure NFL situation where there's no expectation. I've seen things like that happen in a positive way for for NFL guys. So maybe he'll be in a situation where he gets drafted later, doesn't get drafted at all, and a team can come out or he gets to pick where he goes and can kind of position himself in a way that might best suit uh, the best chance for him to to make a football team because we we know he's pretty good, but sometimes you're just better in a, in, in a new situation. And obviously, CC Jefferson had a lot of talent. Um, maybe a little undersized, might be a little bit of a tweener, but again, it's about fit. And maybe there's a better fit out there for CC Jefferson to uh, be productive in the NFL, um, maybe even more so than he was at Florida, where he was obviously a very good player, better than a serviceable player, but a productive player and a leader in the locker room. Maybe he'd be a better NFL player than he was a college player. I'll be anxious to see that. Well, we've seen that if any of these guys need a reminder of that possibility, uh, Trenton Brown should be a good example. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know what he did recently in terms of signing a huge contract and uh, won a Super Bowl with the Patriots. And quite frankly, he was a seventh-round pick of the 49ers back in, what, 2015 <laughs> after <laughs> a couple of uh, just ho-hum years with the Gators. He stood out because of his size at Florida. But not a lot else. And, uh, you know, he got his chance and he uh, turned it on. And, you know, a lot of guys, when they start making money and realize this is how they're going to make their living, uh, it changes the uh, approach and it helps some guys. And, and I, I can't emphasize with uh, Rich McKay, who is the general manager of the Bucks, and now he's the president of the Falcons. He's not involved in the football related stuff anymore. He's on the business side. Talked about it all the time fit, fit, fit. You could be a great player on the Bucks. But maybe not a great player if you're on the Falcons. It's just circumstance. And NFL is about that. And, and it's obviously it's about producing and being a professional and a lot of discipline and a lot of responsibility and accountability. And a lot of that's not different than college. But being in the right place, it can be a game changer for a lot of guys. And obviously it was for Trent Brown because – I mean, he goes from, I don't know, well, blocking for Skylar Morning, morning Wake to being, you know, the blind side protector of Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. So I would imagine that when Trenton Brown went to the NFL, those were circumstances. Uh, and I mentioned unfathomable circumstances. I would imagine that would have been one not only for Trenton Brown, but a lot of people that followed Trenton Brown uh, uh, during a, a mostly uh, anonymous career at Florida. So good luck to all those guys. This is obviously a big weekend for them. They've been preparing for this for their whole lives and none of them have any idea where their futures are headed but they'll find out soon enough so we'll monitor what happens in the draft and of course we'll talk about that next week but another thing we need to get to is the constantly shifting landscape of gator basketball last week we discussed andrew nemhard going into the draft to test the waters and in the time since we spoke about that we found out some destinations for former gators that are leaving and also found some guys to take up a few of the, the scholarships that were made available at the end of the year yeah, last week uh, we spoke about the signing uh, or the transferring from Louisiana Tech of uh, forward Anthony DeRuji, and um, we couldn't expand on anything else. And no sooner did his paperwork came in, Adam, than not long after that came in the paperwork of Florida's uh, two freshman players. Uh, DeRuji obviously is a transfer from Louisiana Tech. They'll sit out next year, and uh, and we'll have two years uh, after that. But uh, Jason Jatoba is a 6'11", 300-pound kid from 
Hamilton Heights, which is uh, basically a prep school in Chattanooga. This is a very, very large man. He's not going to be that big by the time the season rolls around because once Preston Green gets his mitts into him, he's going to start losing weight very, very quickly. But um, Florida fans, I, I pine for big guys. And granted, that's not unwarranted by any stretch of the imagination. If you go by the, the run of uh, circumstance and the run of, of some bad luck Florida has had with their big men, whether it's a Johnny Bunu's knee injury, ended one season that ended in the Elite Eight, by the way. They could have used him for that and, and cost the, his whole uh, fifth-year senior season. Chase Johnson's concussions, Gorjak Gak's knee injuries, Keystone blowing out his knee last year. Florida's had some tough time with bigs. Well, this guy is certainly big. He's a guy who's going to carve out space, get the ball in the block, and put the ball in the basket. It's not a, it's not a guy that's running offense through him and he's, he's putting the ball on the floor. That's not what he is. But he, he gives them something that John Igbunu kind of gave them in terms of a duck-in guy, post-up guy. He's not going to be explosive like that. But Florida is going to have a big man in the mix next year. How much he's going to be in the mix, obviously that's going to play out over the next six months. Um, but he will be here for Summer B, along with a fellow Tennessean by the name of uh, Quez Glover. He was the runner-up for the Tennessee Player of the Year. Hmm. He beat the Tennessee Player of the Year and the Gatorade National Player of the Year's uh, team in the state championship game. But he's going to Memphis. He's the number one uh, player in the country. Uh, Quez Glover beat him, and Quez Glover's beat him every way imaginable. I've seen the highlights of the game. This kid is just 5'11", 175 pounds. But he's a different kind of point guard in that he can get his own shot. He involves everybody else. He's athletic. He can, and he, his shot looks pretty good, and he gets some lift on it. And quick guy, uh, people are immediately going to start thinking Chris Chioza, but he, he's not. He's not Chris Chioza, okay? Chris Chioza wasn't Chris Chioza when he got here as a freshman. He wasn't a very good player, to be quite honest, as a freshman. So this is a four-year probably guy who can come in and – should Andrew Nemhard leave? And we talked about that last week. And, you know, earlier this week, I saw Andrew Nemhard in the gym getting shots up with Noah Locke. So none of this is, is finalized by any stretch of the imagination. He's still going through that underclassman process. But in the event that Andrew Nemhard is to leave, and in the event Andrew Nemhard stays, the Gators have a different look kind of point guard here and a very fast kid who can basically – you can give him the ball in, on the inbound and the other team's pressing, he, and you can send your guys up court. He can beat a press by himself. Andrew Nembard isn't necessarily going to do that. So it's options, and it's options that Mike White will have next year, Adam, with regard to maybe I want to play faster for the next uh, six possessions. And Kez Glover is going to give them a chance to do something like that. So there are going to be a lot of new players on this team next year. You know, we, you know we've talked about – uh, Scotty Lewis, for the McDonald's All-American from New Jersey. Trey Mann, the McDonald's All-American from here in Gainesville by way of the Villages. Trey Mann is a guy who who will get some reps at the point guard spot. So uh, uh, Florida is going to have five freshmen next year on the roster. Uh, they're going to have a, a transfer sitting out, uh, and they're probably going to have a grad transfer uh, to be named later. And that's something that will be, probably be decided over the next week, two weeks, maybe even three weeks. This grad transfer thing is a landscape that it really changed somewhat in college basketball, and um, it's something that keeps the recruiting windows open, not just for later than usual, but it could go on uh, into the summer. So, but Florida, Florida's looking at junior college guys. They're looking at grad transfers. Um, I would say that there's 0% chance of them signing a freshman 
it's going to come from that pool of some guys that have already played some level of college basketball already. When we've already talked about the guys who have uh, entered that portal from the floor perspective, and I know this week we saw uh, Keith Stone is going to land at a, a very familiar program for the Gators. Yeah, he's going to the University of Miami, and that's good for him because uh, he's from down there. Uh, he's going to be close to his family. Now, remember, uh, he blew out his knee. I want to say it was January the 19th at Georgia. So when he's available, obviously, is something that, that's highly unpredictable when it comes to rehabbing a knee injury. It's entirely possible Florida could face Miami in the uh, in the tournament the week before Thanksgiving, the uh, four-day tournament, I guess, that they'll play in Charleston, South Carolina. So uh, maybe the Gators will be able to say hello to Keystone, but I don't know if they'll be facing Keystone in that tournament. But uh, congratulations to him. He's landed at a high major program. They're in a little bit of a rebuild mode, so have, he'll have an opportunity right there to go in and contribute right away. Of course, the, uh, the whole knee situation is something that will – that obviously will be closely monitored, but um, I think he wanted to change the scenery. He's going to graduate. Uh, good for him. Remember last year, he made some big, big shots and wins over Kentucky last year when Florida or season before this past one in helping Florida sweep uh, Kentucky for the first time since 2014. So he's landing in a good place. Two other guys will be watching over the next few weeks. Michael Coro is transferring. Uh, DeAndre Ballard obviously is transferring. And from what I understand, those guys have a good chance to end up in Power 5 situations as well. So uh, we'll talk about them when, when that happens, but we wish them luck as well. I want to turn our attention to the uh, the Diamond Sports first. Just a note on softball, we talked about their big alumni weekend bringing in Alabama. It did not go well. They actually got swept at home by Alabama. Mm-hmm. Only six games left in the regular season for them as they're right on that 8-9 line. Florida has not been on the road in the postseason since 2007 so that's gonna be interesting to follow as that progresses next few weeks on the baseball front scott uh really bizarre series for them at lsu which started out with a ton of fireworks and then continued to have fireworks but they were on the the wrong side of the inning was the issue yeah that went on uh thursday called some people by surprise the gators came out brady smith had four hits they scored 13 runs and uh, you know really uh, just pounded the Tigers. But uh, LSU got revenge the next couple of games. And for the Gators, it was really a similar storyline as we've seen from uh, them on the road this season, especially in the SEC. I mean, the pitching just has not been uh, up to par. I mean, this is by far statistically the worst pitching staff of uh, Kevin O'Sullivan's 12 seasons. And uh, it's just a lot of uh, young arms. They look, quite frankly, like they're a little bit intimidated in some of these road environments. And, you know, the SEC is a it's a tough conference. I mean, it's the toughest in the in the country in baseball. There are no easy road trips when you're going to LSU and Texas A&M and Mississippi State and all these uh, powerful uh, opponents. Uh, the, the young pitchers are taking their lumps. I mean, it's really the Gators are still in the hunt for the postseason. You know, they're. Under 500 in the uh, league, but they still are, you know, 10 games over 500 overall. But the chances of them hosting, you know, during the postseason as we become accustomed to it, it's kind of far-fetched unless they really turn it around on the mound and uh, start getting some wins in conference. Uh, because hitting-wise, I think they're fifth in the league in hitting with around a 290 team average. But again, their pitching is uh, 13th uh, in the league overall on the road. I think they're right there at the bottom. Just uh, just uncharted territory, and 
Yeah, I sound like a broken record here. It all goes back to really, I think, when you have a guy like Tyler Dyson, who was projected to be your Friday night starter, and you, you lose that. That's something that Florida has had so consistently in recent years. You knew that wherever they were playing, whoever they were playing, guys like Hudson Randall, Alex Fayetto, Brady Singer, were going to go out there and set a tone on Friday night. You know, even if they didn't win, which they did most of the time, they still kind of set a tone like, you know, we're here to do our thing. And they always had a great pitcher following them on Saturday. Uh, I mean, they got some talent with Tommy Mace and Jack Leftwich uh, in the uh, rotation, but they just haven't had that consistency. And Tyler Dyson was supposed to be that guy to set that tone. He has been uh, unable to do that. You know, he's he's been in and out of the rotation. So I think that's just to use that term again, set the tone for the whole season. You talk about maybe a little intimidation factor. Uh, one guy who's not intimidated is, unfortunately for the Gators, a former Gator. That is Pete Alonzo. Uh, he is absolutely tearing it up in the majors right now with the Mets. And I- I'm sure you also like him too, Scott, because I don't know if you see this the way I do. He's got this old school vibe to him. I mean, you watch his swing. You watch the way he plays. He looks like he could easily be playing in one of those throwback games or wear the old jerseys, and you would think he belonged to that era as opposed to the, the modern one. No, he really does. He reminds me a little bit, Adam, of uh, Chris, actually, in his softball days. I mean, <laughs> I, I've seen Chris back in his softball days, and I mean... I don't have a gut like that guy. <laughs> in Lonzo's case, though, in all seriousness, I mean, it's lower body. He has this perfect old school swing it's all in his lower body he's a big strong guy and i mean it's just such a clean compact swing if, if you're a hitting coach and you're watching him at bat you're like okay just keep doing what you're doing because it's worked it's very similar i mean i'm sure he's made some tweaks since he played here but it looks very similar what he's doing with the mets as what he did here at florida he's just gotten stronger as he's gotten a little bit older and, uh, I mean, he's been one of the big stories of the, you know, major leagues so far in the early season. I mean, he's right at the top, uh, near the top in, in all the power categories in the National League, home runs, RBIs. He's became a fan favorite with the Mets, who, you know, if you know much about that franchise, they've struggled in recent years. They've been trying to latch on to, like, their next superstar uh, since David Wright kind of faded away, and they've got some good pitching, but they haven't had that big bat in the lineup for the fans to rally around. So far early in the his career, Pete Alonso's become that, and uh, playing in New York, too. I mean, if you have success in New York, you are going to become a star. And, you know, it's still too early to make any long-term uh, prognosis on Pete Alonso's career, but I do expect him to succeed because you – you look at what he did in the minors the last couple of years. I mean, in retrospect, it kind of seems silly. Like, you know, he he was on teams with Tim Tebow a couple of times to the minors. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he always got overshadowed because Tebow is always going to get the headlines. But all Alonzo did was go out and produce and get called up, move through the minors, and here he is in the major leagues now and uh, producing. And it's one of the better stories uh, we've seen from uh, certainly the early part of the major league baseball season. I'm and I, I would go back, and I don't know if there's ever been a Gator to uh, debut in the big leagues with as much fanfare as Pete Alonso has. When you talk about, again, a lack of intimidation, I, I love the story from this week where he saw that the guy they were going to be facing 
was someone he went up against in college. You can probably fill in more details than I can. He basically called his manager and said, hey, this guy destroyed me in college. I got to be in the lineup today so I can go get my revenge. And then he gets a home run off him. So, you know, that's the kind of competitor that I think when you, you look at it, that's what drove Florida's success in baseball over the last few years, having guys like that who just had that attitude. Yeah, I mean, they had a lot of those guys, and that's why you make the College World Series for four straight years and finally win one in 2017. And he had a home run to dead center at TD Ameritrade Park, and that was an area of the ballpark no one had ever hit one. And, you know, the signs were there. We saw him, but you, you don't know if that's just the college game. He's not facing the kind of pitching you know he's going to face uh, on the major league level. But uh, he's lived up to all the potential and all the hype. And as far as this Gators team, Adam, referencing that kind of mentality, I mean, I'm not really too surprised by what's happened uh, to them this year because they, they really had to rebuild a lot of their roster. If I'm surprised at anything, it's that the young hitting has been as good as they have been, and some of the pitching hasn't been as good as we expected And the it's just one of those growing pains. And, the, you know, uh, I've said this before on the show. If there's one thing I know about Kevin O'Sullivan and his staff, I mean, they're as good of a recruiting staff as any program in the country. And you're going to have one of these years once in a while. And, uh, you know, again, they could still make the postseason. They could still make the NCAA tournament. But if they do, it's certainly been an unusual ride compared to what we're accustomed to around the, those who follow the program closely. Moving on to our PAT, and before we do, I do have to give a special PAT shout-out to our own Scott Carter. Some number of weeks ago, we asked who was the biggest disaster in sports. I think it was the worst contract, something along those lines. Uh, And, Scott, you said it was Chris Davis from the Orioles. And then after you said that and the season started, he had a (laughs) record-breaking drought. I think it was – was it 0 for 54 that he started here? It was 0 for 50-something. I know that. Whatever it was, I saw that and I said, wow, we got to give Scott credit because he uh, he talked about that being an all-time disastrous deal. And for him to start the year that badly uh, was astonishing. So credit to Scott. That's how we're going to start. So, Scott, you're already you're, you're in a leading position before you even pose this week's question. Um, well, you know, I, I had some good evidence there that he, what, he had, what was it, 153 <laughs> last year? It yeah, over 502 Uh, In any case, I want to move on to this week's PAT, which is going to be about anticipation in pop culture. I'm not sure if you guys know this. This week is the release of Avengers Endgame, which is going to be one of the biggest movies of all time. And also on Sunday is going to be the biggest filmed battle sequence of all time on Game of Thrones. So arguably two of the most anticipated pop culture events are happening within a few days of each other. Both of them are very, very high on my list for this question. So what I want to know from you guys is thinking back through your lifetimes, what is a pop culture event, be it a movie, a TV show, an album, something that you were just so, so amped up for that you still remember being in that state to this day? As I sit here and you know think about the question, I mean, there, it's funny that I'm going to give you one that's kind of playing into your wheelhouse, Adam, because uh, I did grow up a Batman fan. Now, mm-hmm. I was never a comic book reader. I've never I was, been either. I was the guy who, oh, okay, I was the guy who grew up on the Adam West TV series Batman, 
And it was, I watched reruns of that when I was a kid. So you got to go back to 1989 when the original Batman movie came out with Michael Keaton. That was a big deal even in 1989, which it blows my mind. That's been 30 years ago, by the way. I can only imagine how big it would be in 2019 with social media and internet. Back then, it was all these movies weren't being made like they were today or are today. So when they come out with a, a comic book movie, uh, what Michael Keaton. I think Jack Nicholson was the mm-hmm. Joker. I remember going to the movie, I think maybe on the first night, and when it came out on videotape, I <laughs> bought it. And I'm pretty sure I still have that VCR tape somewhere in a box at home. Wow. So that shows you, uh, you know, that was a big one. But I also think of things like when the first space shuttle went up, man, like I was about 10 or 11. I mean, that was a big deal to me. Uh, of course, it was different than, you know, Chris probably remembers when the first rocket went up. So. <laughs> first plane, my friend Orville and Wilbur. <laughs> <laughs> first plane. And then just to throw, since I know Chris, well, you know, he, he doesn't like some of my music, but I, I'll never forget when the double Use Your Illusion albums by Guns N' Roses came out in September 1991. That was a big deal. All right, Scott, are you ready for this? You and your Batman oh. movie? Okay. Yeah. You watched the Batman series, right? Yeah, yeah, Adam West. Yeah. Did you know there was a Batman movie with all those actors in it? I did not know that. Yes, highly anticipated when it came out. I remember going to the drive-in theater in 1966 to see it. Oh, wow. Cesar Romero was the That's Joker. what I was going to say. I've Actually, yeah, Cesar Romero. Bur- I do remember that. Burgess, Burgess Meredith was the Penguin. Hmm. I've actually seen parts of that movie, and it's quite terrible. <laughs> oh, it, oh it's, it is terrible, of course. Yes, but I mean, the show was terrible, but it was campy, as, as a word my wife uses. And, so, and it was it a was very, very popular show at the time, but uh, there's a bat helicopter in it. There's a bat boat in it, uh, in addition to the, the standard Batmobile. Um, I'm from an era where you went to movies, you anticipated they'd come out, and you had to go wait in long ass lines it's just i i just i just remember waiting in the line to see uh jaws for for the first time and then you go back maybe a day later and go see it again and mm. you'd still wait in line or whatever right and i remember waiting in line to see raiders of the lost ark and the the and star wars of course and uh, empire strikes back was one of the most anticipated films in the history of films but my earliest memory of i want to see this movie i wasn't old enough to see it I was 14 years old when The Exorcist came out. Hmm. And yet, like everyone else, even at 14 years old, I had read the book. And everyone was waiting for this movie. So I was, if someone who grew up right outside Washington, D.C., the movie was filmed in Washington, D.C., so it made it all, anticipation all the more. It actually came out, uh, if it wasn't Christmas Day, it was uh, right after Christmas Day in 1973. And the lines were long as hell. Uh, it was cold as hell uh, standing out there to wait. And then you got you know the snot scared out of you when you when you went inside the movie and that to me was kind of like the start of an anticipation to that degree of something and uh i'm sure now people would watch the exorcist and say ah, that's that's schlock or whatever but uh at the time um obviously it was a worldwide uh bestseller that freaked everybody out and um that was really to me kind of like the start of new age horror films mm-hmm um, and then it kind of went from there to the Omen and the Halloween, and then I guess it eventually morphed into Scream. And what is the what's the comedy horror movies? Scary, Scary movie. movie, which I'm sure you've seen everyone. You left out Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth. Sure, yeah, exactly. There's a lot in, in yeah, that yeah. same vein there. 
Halloween, right, 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 yeah. right. All that stuff. Um, yes, absolutely. No, that's, that's what about good. yours, Adam? That's okay, good stuff. I can't wait to hear this. Mine would be eleven years ago, two thousand eight, when the Dark Knight came out. I remember going up, drove an hour up to the mall of Georgia and I got there an hour early to wait in line for it because you had to do that back in those old days. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the IMAX projector broke and we didn't get to see the movie. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> the anticipation built even more. But for to compare that to today, uh, so this week I'm going to see Avengers and IMAX on opening day and I got my seat booked three weeks ago. So you don't even have that that excitement anymore, that buildup of going early and standing in line. All the theaters are reserved seating now, the big ones at least. That's right. So, you know, it appeals to the lowest common denominator of laziness that pervades our culture. I'm sure you guys will agree with that sentiment, right? No doubt. There you go. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. We found common ground. We found we found a unifying element here, and that's a great way to bring this to a close. So since I know you guys won't be at Avengers this week, and you probably don't even watch Game of Thrones, uh, fans can certainly catch you guys tweeting about the Gators at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris, and their content will, of course, be flowing, as always, through FloridaGators.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thanks, Adam, and I do watch Game of Thrones. Okay, good. There you go. <laughs> thank you, Adam. Gymnastics saw their season come to a stunning end a few weeks ago as they failed to reach NCAA championships for the first time in almost 20 years. The biggest contributing factor was multiple falls on the beam, one of which came from senior Alicia Boren. Coming off that kind of adversity, it was fair to wonder how she would respond when she went to nationals as an individual to compete on floor. Erasing any doubt about her resolve, she came through with a career-capping performance that saw her exit Fort Worth as a national champion. Shortly after returning home, Alicia sat down with Gator Vision's Shelby Gnath to discuss her incredible career and what's next, starting all the way back at the beginning. So I went to a birthday party. Um, one of my friends had a birthday party, and I was like, okay, I'm totally down to go jump around in a gym. And then I really enjoyed it, and I told my mom, and she was like, well, we need to have her get some energy out somewhere. So then she ended up putting me in classes. And when did you realize that you were pretty good at this? So I still had no clue. I was just jumping around. But Paula Gaiman, who's a coach at my club gym, she was like, oh, Alice, you should put her in team, you know, and get her in the mini advanced classes and see where she goes because I think she has a lot of talent. So then my mom just did that. So you were a Gator fan your whole life. You kind of grew up a Gator fan. Tell me about that and how that started. So I actually don't even remember being a Gator fan when I was younger. I remember coming to Florida because my grandparents lived here and we they had a condo that we'd always go to, but I really don't remember knowing about the Florida Gators. I just now have gone back and looked at pictures and I was like, wow, that's so ironic that I ended up here. But um, then I got here and I did fall in love immediately. So probably just came from when I was younger. So what was the recruiting process like for you? I know everyone's a little bit different, but what was your journey like? So the girls at my gym that were older were really very good, you know, and they started committing younger, but we're just still looking at a lot of colleges and we had colleges coming in and out of the gym and I didn't really know anything about it. I just saw them coming in and um, I was like, oh, that's really cool, you know, but, and my coach explained it to me, but I was just like, oh, it's so far away. I don't even know what college is. So then one of the colleges when I was in like seventh grade, seventh grade was like, oh, we're totally interested in you. And I was like, I don't even know what high school I want to go to. So I don't, I don't know about college. So I, I just kind of blew that off, but you know, just started thinking about it in seventh grade. That's when I really started thinking about it. And then I started getting uh, unofficial letters from colleges. And then in 
eighth grade, I got a letter from Florida. And that's when I really started looking at bigger schools. Because at first I was just looking at not smaller schools, but just different schools, you know, a lot more in the North, your Maryland and Rutgers and Penn State. And then when Florida offered, I really began looking at the SEC. So why Florida? What what made you fall in love with Gainesville? So I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was looking at colleges. And then that's kind of how I narrowed down my search to my top three schools. And then I came here for a visit on my, in my unofficial visit. And I just loved it immediately. I was like, the weather, you know, coming from Jersey was amazing. It was like 80 something degrees out. And it's funny because my parents were sweating and they asked us, they're like, you know, do you want to see the dorms? And I was like, I was about to answer. And they were like, no, we can Google pictures of it. And I was like, okay. And I was, I was, wasn't even sweating. I was just enjoying it. And I immediately just loved it. I went to watch practice. And the girls, I remember sitting there looking at these girls that I had looked up to my whole entire life. I remember Keetra Hunter came up to me and I was like, mom, I was like, look who it is. Keetra Hunter. Like, it was crazy. I just immediately was like, this is the place I want to spend four years at. So you committed your sophomore year, which means that's the first year they won a national championship. Yes. Wow, what was that like for you? You had just committed to this school and they're now national champions. It was honestly a rush. I was so excited for them and I couldn't wait to post the pictures that I had just taken with them. And it was really awesome. And it's funny because I committed here wanting to help them win a national championship and then they immediately won. And I was like, wow, it only makes it so much sweeter. So then come your senior year, they've now won three in a row. Yeah. I mean, were you intimidated? What was that like coming onto this team that had just won back-to-back-to-back national championships? Oh, very intimidated for sure. I remember coming on my official visit and I couldn't even like talk to Alex normally. And I had grown up doing gymnastics with her, but I was like, she's national champion now. Like, who am I talking to? I don't know what to, I don't know what to say. And she's like, Leash, it's just me. And I was like, okay, whatever you say. But yeah, it was a lot of pressure. You know, I did a lot of work over the summer. A lot of girls just kind of stop and take a little break before they come to college. And I was like, I can't stop. You know, I need to grind to the last possible second until I got here. So not only that, you're coming into a team that's won three national championships in a row, but there was then a coaching change. Rhonda Fain announced she was leaving Take me through that process. What was that like for you? So it was really confusing at first. I didn't know what to do because switching commitments at the time was not big. Now people switch commitments and it doesn't really mean a lot. But for then, it was just not normal. So I didn't know what I was supposed to do at that point. So I was sitting in class actually in school and I got a text from, I think it was Ashley Hiller sent it in our Baby Gators group text. And it was a... I believe a flow gymnastics post of like the statement that she was going to leave. And it was April at the time. And I was like, Oh, it's April fool's joke. So funny. And she was like, no, this is real. And I was like, wow. So I actually left class and called my mom. And I was like, mom, what are we going to do? You know, I have no clue. Like they don't have anyone lined up. You know, I thought they were going to have someone ready to announce with. So I was just really lost. And I went into the gym and my coach was like, all right, let's look at Georgia. You know, let's look at these schools. They still want you. We can switch right now and get it handled as soon as possible and my mom's like we're not making any decisions until we you know figure out the situation and then we ended up looking more into it and they were like your scholarship is still you know yours you you're not you're not going to get it taken away it's just you know what you want to do with it at that point so why did you decide to stay here was it after they announced jenny or or what made you decide that you still wanted to be a gator so i never stopped wanting to be a gator i just was really 
confused as to what they were going to do next. And I did have faith in, you know, the athletic department that they were going to pick someone that was the perfect fit for Florida. You know, they had this Gator standard of, you know, excellence and integrity and everything. And I was like, if that's their standard, they're not going to hire anything less than that. So I was just ready to keep my commitment. I was excited to come. So just thinking about your freshman year, how would you describe Alicia Bourne as a gymnast her freshman year? Shy, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I wasn't confident in myself because I, again, was comparing myself to all these girls who had accomplished so much in their lives. And I was like, I'm just a little level 10, you know. And people at the time were kind of tweeting and posting on social media like, why are they you know, committing level 10s here. So I really just kind of felt out of place and I was really nervous and I worked hard and that was what mattered, but I felt that I needed to do better for my team. So I just, you know, didn't really smile. I kind of just was grinding every, all day, you know, all day, every day, you know, did the extra workouts, just all I cared about was gymnastics. So what changed that mindset for you? I think after I fell, I don't know, I went to a meeting with Jenny after I kind of was in a depression and she was like, like, it wasn't just you, you know, it's me, it's the team. There's so many things. You can't just put it on yourself. And remember now you have a team. And I think at that moment I realized that I truly was a part of a team and it was a team sport. And I had always been for the team, but I don't think I was much as a part of the team as I could have been. And at that moment I was ready to be a part of a team. So then your junior year is really when I remember you starting to come out of your shell. What was that like for you and how much more enjoyable was the sport for you? So I was really nervous because, you know, we get judged all the time. And I was like, well, now I'm actually myself. I'm like, is someone going to judge me? Is someone not going to like me for myself? But they ended up being fine with it and accepting me. And that was really exciting. And that helped me come out even more. And it was so enjoyable. I think I had never really enjoyed gymnastics as, as much as I did in the junior year. And that was um, a lot because of my team. The team had my back. You know, they believed in me more than anyone had ever believed in me. And it was just so much fun. So go, we'll go back to September this last fall. What were your goals for your senior year? So it's funny, I had a lot of goals, but I just wouldn't speak them out loud because I was nervous that I would jinx myself. But it was definitely placing top, you know, like 10 in the NCAA at the end of the road, so nationals, and then maybe winning an event, you know. And it was floor was the one I had hoped to because I was kind of, unsure of the other events, you know, but those are definitely my goals. And then win SECs as a team was also a big goal for me. That is something the team did in the regular season, named SEC champions for the first time. What was that like for you? It was really exciting. You know, we had worked really hard and we had, uh, you know, a, a lot, a really talented team. And I was so excited when it happened. So then postseason, um, I know Fell a little short for you guys and, and not what you wanted, but regionals kind of take me through that and, and what was going through your mind. So when we went into regionals, you know, I, I was actually kind of nervous. Um, they, you know, you, these smaller schools and not even smaller schools, just, you know, lower ranked schools have nothing to lose. And that's how they always go into a meet. And I think that people at the, like, you know, top ranked, say top five, they have a little more pressure. And I think they put it on themselves and they don't need it because they're good enough. But we definitely do, do put more pressure on ourselves because like we have to hold this top spot. And I think that definitely got us. 
So then after regionals, the team wasn't advancing, but you found out you made it as an individual. What did that mean to you? It honestly meant a lot. I was very honored to be able to, you know, represent my team one more time. And especially as a senior, if that had been it for me, I don't know what I had done. You know, I'd, I'd fallen on beam that day and I was devastated because I was like, this really could be it, you know, for not just me, but for my team, which is always, you know, you know, my first and foremost worry. And so my parents actually told me after the meet that I had qualified when I went up to them. And I was like, wow, I, I just kept crying even more actually because I was like, this opportunity is, you know, once in a lifetime thing. For this, you know, the circumstances weren't great, but I was given this chance and I was really grateful. There were only four of you in Fort Worth. What was your mindset going into that Friday night competition? So I was really nervous, actually, not to have my team by my side. They, there's at least one person that helps me every step of the way, even from, you know, my roommate and my roommate's Jazzy and she wasn't there. So I was nervous just to have room, you know, room with someone that I'm not used to rooming with, but ended up being Alyssa and she helped me, you know, every day just stay in the right space of mind. And then right before the competition, it was just really weird. We were standing there and I didn't have my team. So I went over to the girls and we did a chant. And I was like, you know, just leave it all out there. You have nothing to lose at this point. It's, you know, you're representing the Gator Nation, but really this is for you at this point. So, you know, represent yourself as good as you can. And then I let them march out and then I stood there and I was so nervous. And I was like, this is the one moment I need someone. And I had no one. And a, a girl actually from Oregon State saw me crying and she came and gave me a hug. And she's like, I know you had those senior feels, you know, and she kind of just held me and she's like, you know, just leave it all out there. You know, you have nothing to lose. You know, you're capable of doing what, you know, you do every day. And that kind of got me ready. So floor was your first event, your last floor routine as a Gator. Kind of take me through it. So before, uh, Alyssa always talks to me, um, and she couldn't because she was in her corral, but she did look at me, which is also something she always does, and it was kind of like, you're ready, you got this. So I looked at her, and then I like took a deep breath and walked up there, and I was just really nervous because I was like, this is it, you know, I can't, I gotta end on a high note. And Alex had actually texted me before that she was gonna be there. And she was like, you know, just know that I got you, like look out in the crowd. So I walked up the steps and I looked and she was there and she, she looked at me and I was like, wow, like this is my moment. She's, you know, one of the most successful collegiate gymnasts, you know, in the history of college gymnastics. I was like, this is like her telling me that I could be, you know, next um, of make, making history for myself and for our school. And so at that moment, I was really ready. What was that? I mean, finishing your routine and just doing that huge gator chomp for the last time. What was that like? It was really amazing. I don't even know how to explain it. You know, I kind of just gator chomped and like held it for a second, you know, took it all in. I really had never enjoyed a floor routine. You know, I enjoy, enjoy it after when I do good, if I do good. So that's the first time I really just enjoyed a full floor routine and had fun. And it was the most natural smile. It came so easily. And I know everyone had my back and it's crazy. Like Georgia was cheering for me and I could see them cheering for me. And I saw Gator Nation and so many other people and all the Oregon State girls and their coaches are cheering for me and it was really just awesome so that was your first event of the night you had to go through I know you guys aren't looking at scores or anything so at what moment did someone tell you or did you realize that you were the national champion so it's funny yeah we never look at scores but that night I looked at the scoreboard the whole night on floor I like got that score and I was like well they're bound to throw out a 10 but you know you never know really so I actually looked at it the whole night on floor and I was like 
oh, and have you seen anyone that's gotten higher than 995? And then another girl tied and got 995. And I was like, well, that's still not better, you know, so we could tie. So I just kind of looked at it until I got to beam. And then I was like, well, I just have one event left, you know, put it all out there. And I did it. And then after I was crying with Jenny and the coaches and the girls, and then um, I kind of just needed a second. And I just kind of went off in the corner and brought myself together. And I walked over and she's like, Jenny was like, you're a national champion. I was like, what? No way. And then I cried more. It was, oh, it was an amazing experience, though. Only the third national champion on floor for Florida. You're, you're right up there. How special is that for you? It's really special. You know, I came in and I didn't think that I was good enough. You know, I just because the girls were so good and so talented and you know, the highest level of girls in the collegiate gymnastics are all, you know, ex-elites, you know, and I was just like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to be up there. And after the meet, you know, I saw someone had put something on social media that said I was the third in Gator history. I was like, that can't be possible. You know, I'm like, Keitra Hunter is the last person. I was like, I remember coming in on my official visit and looking at her and wanting to be like her and even watching her in elite. So to be able to be up there with, you know, a name like hers is honestly an honor. I think fans will look at your stats and everything you accomplished here at Florida. 18-time All-American and a national champion, and but never a perfect 10. Is, is that something you think about? And it, it's just kind of crazy to look at everything you accomplished and just so close yeah. many times. Yeah, so this year actually I finally had gotten a 9975, which is my first time in my career. And I got it at Bama of all places, you know. I was like our rival, one of our biggest rivals, and that was an amazing moment for me. You know, I had gotten 995s um, a number of times, and I was so excited to have finally, you know, gotten a, an even higher personal best. So then I thought a 10 was finally within reach if a 9975 was possible. And I thought senior night, you know, I felt like I did one of the best routines and I thought that was the night. And, you know, it wasn't and I wasn't okay with it. But at the same time, you know, I, I want a 10 to be deserved. So if it wasn't the night, then it wasn't the night. You know, I just had to work that much harder for it. And a perfect 10 has always been a goal and always been a dream, you know, since club. And I wanted to be on that wall. And when I won nationals, I think that was the first time that I accepted not getting a 10 because I was like, you know what? I'll be on a different wall. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Alicia, your parents were a huge support, always in the stands. What did that mean to you? My parents came to every single meet. They did not miss one meet. They were at every home and away meet, you know, through all the weather. You know, through the winter here, it was nice and sunny, but through the winters at home, there were blizzards, storms and everything. And, you know, they almost actually missed one because of the weather. And I was like, do what you got to do, you know. I was like yelling at them on the phone. I was like, do not miss this. And they did it. You know, they came to everyone and they actually came to everyone in my whole career. I think my mom missed my first one or part of my first one for work. But after that, they haven't missed a meet in my whole entire career. And I really can't thank them enough for that. I know that's a lot of work. And I thought that a scholarship would be enough to pay them back for, you know, all the stuff that they put in. And then they just continued to put more money into coming and seeing me. And I'm forever grateful for that. You grew up wanting to be like Keetra Hunter. And I know there are girls who are growing up who want to be like Alicia Boren. How do you want to be remembered as a Gator great? I, I think that the legacy I want to leave behind is kind of just how I carry myself. You know, I never was all about winning, you know, or this or that. I was kind of just about doing the gym, you know, doing it for my team and just trying to be a good example for girls, you know, and trying to be 
a part of something bigger than myself and not take things for granted. Why is it great to be a Florida Gator? I think just the standard that, you know, they hold not just their athletes to, just their students, you know, and the integrity and this, you know, this excellence that they always talk about. I think just being able to be a part of that and having the opportunity to be a part of that is why it's great. What's next for Alicia Boren? So I want to audition for Cirque. There's actually auditions this weekend in Orlando. So I think I'm going to go to those and try out and see how that goes. But I would like to be a stunt double. So it's just, you know, getting in contact with everyone that I've, you know, that's reached out to me about doing it and just figuring out what my next move will be. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Head to FloridaGators.com for info on all of this week's action, and make sure you come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.